0: Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslew.org. Well, good morning. We're continuing in our series on the book of Ephesians, and we're going to be talking about inheritors in him. Now, the first two... uh, sermons we've had in the series, after the initial one, we actually were able to take that language specifically from the verse. So I'm sort of breaking the rules here, but I figured since I'm the pastor, I get to do what I want to do. I get to make the rules up as I go. So anyway, uh, the language in here is, in him we have obtained an inheritance, and I changed that to inheritors in him. So uh, if you've got a problem, you can go talk to my boss, you know. Um, so two weeks ago, we saw that we are chosen in him. We are chosen in Christ. And I think we're going to see even more today that this whole passage we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, it's a gospel presentation, and Paul is working through a lot of ideas related to the gospel story. Um, and last week we saw that we were united in him, united in Christ, and that gives us more information about the great plan that God has had in his mind through the ages. Of course, God's plan is to unite all things to him through Christ. So I want to go back through the four themes before we get into what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Let's go through those four themes together again. uh, The first one is Ephesians is community-oriented and not individualistic, and we're going to continue reading the yous as y'alls, and then also looking at that we versus you language here. Uh, The second thing is new creation and new order of things in Jesus. Jesus has turned the world upside down. He has changed the Apostle Paul's life. And we're going to see next week when uh, Brother John Ely comes up to, to teach, to preach, uh, that Paul wants us to experience the same thing that he experienced, this world turning upside down because of Jesus being revealed to him. Uh, the third thing that we're going to look at uh, throughout Ephesians is unity in Christ. And again, uh, most notably that's Jews and Gentiles, but it's really everything, heaven and earth as we saw last week. And then the, third, the fourth thing we're going to see is division and battle with the powers of the world. So the question that we have in front of us today is, what does it mean to be inheritors in Christ or inheritors in him? And what does that mean for our lives? So what does it mean? And then what does it mean for our lives? So we're going to read through Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. Again, I know we've done this last uh, three weeks. Uh, Verses 3 through 14, again, is one long sentence. And so I want to read through it, and then we're going to unpack it a little bit more this morning. So Paul who or which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Now, if you're like me, and you've, we've been reading through this long section the last couple of weeks, this is a lot to take in. <laughs> I mean, as I'm reading it, and I know I read pretty quickly, as I'm reading it, this is a lot of, of dense stuff going on here. And we have to remember that Paul, you know, back in that ancient world where Paul was writing these letters, uh, you know, it was expensive to send a letter. It was incredibly expensive to send a letter. So you wanted to be as dense and as, you know, as fewest words as possible on the page, because you know, people were going to have to copy it later, and, and it was expensive to make copies and all this stuff. So Paul's just like cramming this stuff in as densely as he can pack it. And so I want to take some time before we get into verses 11 through 14 this morning. I want to sort of slow down a little bit and talk about what we've talked about so far. Because again, this is just from 3 to 14, just one sentence in Greek. So we've got um, a couple slides here. The first one is a recap of uh, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6. So just in very basic language, what is Ephesians 1, 3 through 6 saying? It's saying that we have been blessed, it's saying that we have been chosen in Christ, and we talked about a couple of weeks ago how that is a culmination of God's great plan that started by choosing Abraham to fix the problem of Adam and Eve, and then working through the nation of Israel, finally choosing a line of kings through David. So the culmination of this plan, the fulfillment of this plan was Christ. He is the chosen one, and when we attach ourselves to him, then we uh, can be chosen as well. Then in, in verses 7 through 10, oh, excuse me, we've also been adopted as sons and daughters of God. I don't want to miss that because we're going to pick up that idea today as well. Then 7 through 10, the next thing we talked about last week is uh, we've been redeemed from slavery to the powers. Our sins have been forgiven. We walked through uh, the slavery story of uh, a little bit of Israel coming out of slavery in, in the Old Testament, and we've learned that the mystery of God's purpose His eternal purpose is that God will unite everything to himself through Christ, through Jesus. So God's great plan from from the beginning of time, in essence, was to unite everything back to him. So here's a preview of what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, We've been given an inheritance through the eternal will of God. So we've been given an inheritance through God's will and the way that we experience that is we hear the gospel and when we respond favorably, we get sealed with the Holy Spirit. And that is the down payment of the joys and the blessings that we'll have in the kingdom of God throughout eternity when God and and Jesus will come to earth and bring that kingdom in its fullness to earth. So now I want to uh, point out that in verses 3 through 14, Paul has packed in essentially what we would call the entire gospel message. And I want to show a very busy slide. This is a busy slide because this is a dense passage, okay? So on the left, what we have is we have things in blue here. These are things that God did a long, long time ago. So we could sort of view this chronologically if we want to. So you have God's eternal purpose. You have God's glorious grace. You have God's desire to bless. It starts there. The whole plan starts there with him. God's the one who does the the moving. Then we can come to Christ and what he did. Jesus, we have the cross here, and the the word in him, the phrase in him or in the beloved, it gets used like 13, 14 times just in this passage alone. So through what Christ did, what he accomplished, here are the things that Paul says that we, we now have. It says we were blessed, we were chosen, we were adopted, we were redeemed, I didn't put this up there. We were forgiven of our sins. That's sort of tied in with redeemed. We were taught the mystery. We were given an inheritance. We were sealed. Amen, right? I mean, this is good news. This is good news. So this is all the things that Paul says that we've got now. And then he also brings up at the end of verse 14 now, this hope in the kingdom, which is still future. So this really is, I mean, and I've been saying it. I know Tim Mackey says it in his class. the Bible Project class on the book of Ephesians. This is a gospel presentation. This is what he's doing in verses 3 through 14. He's cramming in and packing in as much of the truth of the gospel as he can, the good news of Christ and what Christ has done for us. So I know, again, this is a dense passage, but I think hopefully this was helpful in instead of all the subordinate clauses and the prepositional phrases and all this stuff. If we can just look at it as bullet points, maybe this helps. So hopefully that helped. But... With that in mind, let's reread the verses that we're covering today, verses 11 through 14. Verse 11, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, the Jews, might be to the praise of his glory. In him y'all also, the Gentiles and the larger community at Ephesus, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who or which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So what we see here in verses 11 through 14, we talked about chosen, we've talked about united, now we see that we have received an inheritance, so we are now inheritors in Christ. So that's the next blessing that Paul is sharing with us, is that we've obtained an inheritance. And this doesn't, shouldn't come as a surprise to us because he's already told us in verse 5 that we've been adopted as sons and daughters. And if you recall, we talked about there, what that means is we've given up all the old legal status that we had in the world according to the powers of this world and what the world could offer us. And we said, nope, we are getting rid of that and we want to take on the legal status of being sons and daughters of God. So we do now have legal rights to an inheritance, the inheritance that God has for us. So then what is that inheritance that God plans to give us? And again, throughout this whole passage, as Tim Mackey has said, uh, Paul has a specific story in mind. He has a specific thing that he's thinking about. So we can turn, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis. We'll be back in Ephesians. Or you can just look at the slide behind me. But in Genesis chapter 12, this is where... God calls Abram or Abraham, and this is where the story, in some sense, begins for us through Christ. And in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now the Lord, or Yahweh, said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing." Okay, so here's blessing language. We've seen that in Ephesians already, haven't we? All right, number th- verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to Yahweh, the Lord who had appeared to him. So here is the first time that an inheritance gets mentioned. He says, I'm going to give To your offspring, this land. We find out in the book of Galatians that the offspring that uh, God had in mind when he told this uh, to Abram was Jesus. Jesus is the offspring of Abraham who inherits all these blessings. What's also interesting is that Deuteronomy 4.38 talks about the promised land being an inheritance for the nation of Israel as they were being developed at that time. Now here you just have Abram and his family, but hundreds of years later, you now have a nation of people that identify themselves with Abram and with Abraham as his name gets changed. And so the promised land becomes their inheritance, the thing that they can hope for. And eventually they possess, at least in part. Deuteronomy thirty two nine also speaks of the people as being God's inheritance. So we sort of have two layers or two directions going on here with this inheritance language as it's used in the Bible. So on one hand, on one level, uh, God gets us. We are his inheritance. We are God's people. And so since he gets us, since we can identify with him, since we are his people, we get the blessings of that. And the blessings of that is God owns the whole earth. And when he comes back to restore this earth, we can inherit in that. We get the blessings of that. Let's turn to Colossians, actually, before we go back to Ephesians. I've been resisting going to Colossians, even though it's a a sister epistle, because I've been trying to stay in Ephesians and just deal with Ephesians on its own. But uh, this is too good to pass up. In Colossians chapter 1, and verse 12, I'm sort of picking it up in the middle of a thought here, but I just wanted to succinctly cover a couple of things here. In verse 12, it says, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So here we see uh, inheritance because of God's grace and his qualification. We've been rescued in verse 13 from the powers. We've been transferred spiritually into the kingdom of his beloved son. And we will physically experience that when Jesus Christ comes back. And then we also see we have the ideas of redemption, forgiveness of sins here as well. So here we can see that inheritance is tied strongly to this kingdom, this inheriting this future kingdom, just like it's inheriting the land in the Old Testament, that when God comes back to restore the earth, when Jesus Christ comes back, that that kingdom is the fullness of this inheritance. So I just want to point out that we have this idea throughout the Bible of this inheritance being the land, and then we also have it tied together here in Colossians as well with the kingdom and inheritance. So let's turn back to Ephesians. Let's turn back to Ephesians. chapter one. So that's a little bit about inheritance. Um, There's, of course, a lot more things that we can say about inheritance, but we'll we'll leave it at that for now. And I've already talked a little bit about being predestined. We talked about that a couple uh, weeks ago, and how that predestination uh, is really the predestination of his purpose and his election in Christ. And so it's not that he chooses you or chooses me specifically, but that the plan was made up uh, through the counsel of his will, as it says here in verse 11. So now let's continue reading um, in verse 13. In him, or in Christ, y'all also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, in Christ, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who and I've been saying who or which, and that's because the grammar is ambiguous. You can um, you can translate it either way. Uh, who or which is the inheritance of our inherit? who's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory, to the praise of God's glory. So Paul describes the sequence of how we hear the gospel message like this. We hear the message first. So God doesn't choose us first. We hear the message first. Then we believe in Christ, then we're sealed with the Spirit. So that's the order. The order is God chose Christ, and he knew that there would be a group of people that would believe through Christ. Then we hear that gospel message, we believe it, and then we get sealed. So what does this sealing mean? And there is a debate about this. So we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit. Um, There are basically two views on what sealing means. The first uh, is scholars, some scholars say that sealing is like a reference to sealing a jar or a can, and those of you who garden at home or uh, who have sealed or preserved cans before understand this reference, that the sealing actually preserves us until Jesus comes back, until the day of judgment, and that's actually the view that my ESV study Bible, uh, which is a Calvinist, uh, Reformed perspective, that's the view that they favor, but there's a second view, and that second view is the seal is actually a seal of authentication or a seal of genuineness. Um, so in other words, the seal would be something that shows someone that you belong to Christ, that you're one of Christ, that you belong to him. And I actually think that the second one's better. And the reason why is I think it makes more sense of the ancient culture. I'm going to read to you from Clinton Arnold's uh, commentary on Ephesians, which is the Zondervan uh Uh, Biblical Backgrounds Commentary. So this is a commentary that's based on just trying to bring in this ancient Near East perspective to the Bible, and this is what he says about seals. He says seals were used widely in the ancient world as the primary way of indicating ownership. They are typically made of hard stones or precious metals and had a distinctive image engraved on them, usually the representation of a favorite deity, a hero, or a portrait. All of a person's significant possessions were marked with the impression of the seal. Even slaves in livestock were marked by the owner. In some cases, people declared themselves the possession of a deity by the imprint of a seal. So they'd go out and do that themselves. The one true God has also marked his possessions by means of a seal, yet his seal does not leave a physical impression. He has given his people the gift of the Holy Spirit as a sign of their belonging to him. And so with this understanding from Arnold and of this, we can see that the seal... What, the seal of the Holy Spirit is what allows us to go out into the world and show them that we belong to Christ, that we are genuine Christians. So why do I think that the second idea is better? Well, I think it fits also better with Romans. Let's turn quickly to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul talks about some of these ideas in Romans as well. And what he's, he says about, in Romans 8 in the context of a couple of the words that we've been looking at, election, election, He's going to talk about predestination and election at the end of chapter 8 and into chapter 9. But in this context, this is what he says about the Spirit. Verse 12 it says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you are put to death, you put to death, excuse me, the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So how do people know that we are the genuine sons and daughters of God, that we've received uh, this, these blessings in Christ, how do they know that? They know that because of the seal. They know that because we've been sealed with the Spirit. We've received the Spirit of sonship or the Spirit of adoption. Our Lord said, you will know them by their fruit, or fruits, actually, in Matthew seven sixteen, He uses the singular and the plural in that passage. So God gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could obey him, so that we could do the things that he set out before us, so that we could fully imitate the life of Christ, so that we could show the world a deeper level of God's goodness and light. And so that's what it means to be sealed. We carry around the seal of authenticity. And I thought of two ways we can think about this in our, in our modern world. Um, on the slide above, you should see uh, a seal that's been placed on a horse. This is a, a brand that's been placed on a horse. And the brand, I was looking this up, the brand is um, something that can be frozen or burned into an animal's flesh. But what's interesting about the brand is that um, if there is a dispute about whose animal it is, the first thing they do is they look at the brand. And so unless you have extensive documentation proving that, nope, I bought that horse or I bought that cow from that farm and now it's mine, even if it hasn't been rebranded yet, You would have to have extensive paperwork to prove that because um, when when the court comes to look at that case, the first thing they're going to do is say, well, whose brand is on that animal? And so if you think about it that way, the spirit is God's brand. Um, It's it's his way of showing to the world that, hey, this person is my person. They have received uh, this. They have an inheritance set forward for them. Uh, There's another way of looking at this. Uh, a seal on a diploma. This is actually my diploma from from college. And if you look at the lower left-hand corner, you can see a seal. And that seal, if I could take it out of, and it's, it's like permanently in this case at home, so I cannot take it out. I try to take it out, take a better picture, but it is actually sealed in, 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 inside there. But anyway, if you could take it out, the seal is actually, it has an indentation. There's a physical seal there. It has, there's a mark on the paper that makes uh, an impression. Um, and so that is how you know that this is a genuine uh, diploma instead of a fake. A fake or, or something that had been photocopied even would not have that seal the same way. It would, be, it would be an imitation. It would be different. And so this seal guarantees that I did all the coursework that I needed to and that I can now, for any job that requires an undergraduate degree and specifically one in math and physics, then I have the ability to do that. I have the qualifications. And so the same thing is true of us. We have been qualified to be authorized representatives of Christ and of our Father to the world because he has sealed us. So back in Ephesians chapter 1, I was thinking about branding too. You know, brands are all around us. Uh, You know, we have a compass brand, and we have a brand Nazi. Uh, She's also our worship (laughs) pastor. (laughs) No, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But you want things to be on brand. You want to, you want to be representing the brand. And so, for example, Paula had her Compass shirt on this morning. Uh, she's repping the brand this morning. Um, but, you know, we see Nike branding everywhere. And, you know, we have all sorts of branding all over the place. We understand what it means to be branded or to have, you know, when you wear a Nike shirt and you got the little swoosh on, you're representing Nike in some sense. Like people look at you and they're like, man, they're, they're repping Nike. So that's, that's the way that these, this branding works. People should be able to see, uh, see how we move in the world and how we act in the world and understand that we are uh, gods. Let's read verses 13 and 14 again. In him, y'all also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, which or who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So finally, uh, verse 14 talks about the Spirit as a guarantee. That word guarantee is basically a down payment. So this is talking about the down payment of the future glory that we will have in the kingdom of God. So when we, the, the picture that we have here is we've received the Spirit. The Spirit's part of our inheritance. It's the way that we connect to God. It's the way that we can experience more complete fellowship with one another through the power of that Spirit as it's talked about throughout the Bible. But that's just a down payment. It's just a down payment that there's more coming. There's more to this inheritance that's still coming, and it's coming to us in the kingdom of God. It's coming to us in this future kingdom when Jesus comes back. So the the Spirit is the down payment of our full inheritance. So what does all this mean for our lives? I want to talk about the four layers of interpretation like we've been talking about in the past couple weeks. So we've already looked at what the text meant to them. So how would they have applied it? Well, in the original context of the book of Ephesians, we've already talked about how uh, the, the uh, Artemis worship, Diana worship was, was really prevalent in Ephesus. And so the Ephesian believers would have been happy to learn that they were no longer sealed under that whatever pagan worship they had already done or if they, if they had that in their lives at all. They're no longer under that seal. They're no longer under those powers. They are now sealed as belonging to Yahweh the creator of the heavens and the earth. And as sons and daughters of Yahweh, they would have been excited to hear that they too had that power of the spirit that would allow them to go out and share that truth with others, and that they would have understood that that was a down payment of their full inheritance, the full inheritance coming for them in the kingdom. So again, they would have understood this very very easily as a transfer of ownership from the former things that they were dealing with and the new the fact that they were with uh, Christ, that they were uh, aligned with Christ and under Yahweh's protection and care. So now what does this mean for us? Uh, well, we don't worry as much about uh, worshiping Diana or Artemis or these uh, pagan deities, or we don't even worry about the, the sun, moon, and stars as much as they did in horoscopes. But we can also still be thrilled to hear that 2,000 years later we can identify with Christ, we can be sealed Uh, with that Holy Spirit, and that we have a hope of an inheritance in the future, that we are inheritors. Uh, We can see ourselves also in the culmination of this great gospel story, starting with Abraham and the promise of land all the way through Christ and into this age. And just like we saw a few weeks ago about being chosen so that we could be holy and blameless, there is a natural thing to be said here uh, practically We should use the seal of the Spirit for good. We don't want to uh, just sit on our ability and just not do anything. We've been sealed for a purpose. We've been given a mark of authenticity for a purpose. And that purpose is to show uh, God's goodness and grace wherever we go. We can show them what it looks like to be an inheritor in Christ. And as we close, I I think about, um, I don't know if any of you have known uh, either well or maybe as an acquaintance, someone who has a large inheritance, who is like a trust fund baby, has a, a very large inheritance coming to them. They're part of a wealthy family. Um, I have, I've had acquaintances that were sort of in those spheres, especially at college. Um, haven't I don't really run in those circles normally. <laughs> but if you've met someone like that, how do they act? Do they relate to money or to life the same way that a normal average person does? No, they don't. If they want, you know, people like this who have hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars, they could walk up to you today and be like, hey, you want to hop in my flight, private jet and go to Greece right now? Is there anyone in this room who has the ability to say that? No. No. No, so they relate differently to life because of this inheritance that they have, because of this standing in the household that they have. And, you know, there's some downsides to that, right? Like there's a haughtiness, usually an arrogance, right? There's a, there, are, there are downsides to this. So I'm not trying to just portray this as a positive thing because it's not entirely positive. Um, but the point that I'm trying to make is that if we really do understand what the Bible is saying here about receiving an inheritance being inheritors in Christ, the, the things that we had to look forward to in this future kingdom of God are way bigger than being able to just hop on a private jet and go to Greece at the drop of a hat, right? Or be able to go on this yacht and have this great party with what, whoever, rich people and models and blah, 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 right? Or go to Hollywood and meet up with Ryan Reynolds and be able to actually get into the bar that I talked about two weeks ago that I have no chance of getting into as it stands right now, Right? Do any of these things matter at the end of the day? The best that they can do, the best that a wealthy person in this life can hope for is that they can enjoy this lifestyle for 50, 60, 70, 80 years because it's basically adult life we're talking about. We're, you know, Until they're 20-ish, they're not experiencing that even as inheritors, not regularly at least unless their parents are whatever, really loosey-goosey. But Anyway, you're talking about 50, 60, 70 years. Maybe if, they're, if, they, if they donate money at the end of their lives, they get this building named after them on this college campus, and in two or three hundred years, people will still know their name because there will be a building on this campus somewhere. But will they know anything about their lives? Will they care about who this person was? Is there any really lasting impact of that? No. But what about our inheritance? The Bible says that we lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, where nothing can happen to them. That's what our inheritance looks like in the kingdom. It's, a, it's, a, it's eternal life. It is eternally living for the, for, forever and ever and ever in a perfect restored world with complete access to God and with his son, Jesus. So now, putting that in perspective, how should we walk around as inheritors? You inherit that. That's what you're inheriting. Now I don't, I don't, you know. Like I said before, even though that's a bigger inheritance, there shouldn't be the arrogance we sometimes see with the other inheritors, right? But I think we get the point. We get the point that we can be proud of the fact that God has worked through the ages through Christ to redeem His people. That now that we're aligned with Christ, now that we're uh, associated with Him, now that we're in fellowship with Him, that we get all these blessings. And one of those blessings is that we have this future inheritance coming that's better than anything that anyone can offer, it, you know, so far surpasses anything this life can offer us. And that's how we walk in this life. We're sealed with that spirit. We have the mark of authenticity, and we are receiving the greatest inheritance that anyone could ever receive. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your eternal plan this morning, for how you have uh, worked throughout time, to get us to this place where we can look forward to the hope of this inheritance, that we can um, walk around with your seal, that Holy Spirit, and show people how you are, who you are, your love, your goodness, your gentleness, your mercy, your kindness. We can show the fruit of the Spirit, Father. We can show others what it means to come to you, to come to your Son, Jesus, and experience the life that you have that you want for them that you want for us in all of eternity so father we're so thankful for that this morning we ask that you would help us to to represent you well to help us to um, be the real trust fund babies of the world and <laughs> and show your goodness and grace and how bountiful it is how amazing it is so father we ask you for your help today in that in jesus name amen Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslou.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.